Hey, Culture Hackers. It's Robbie Richmond here. It's been a long time, but we're back with a podcast about improv, which I feel is the number one skill for leaders to have today, considering how much change and uncertainty and chaos and unpredictability there is. There's a term I heard recently called VUCA, V-U-C-A, which stands for volatility, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And it's uh, it's funny that we have the founder of VUCA, V-U-K-A, which stands for wake up in uh, – I'm not sure which African language. Um, but he's the founder of VUCA Coworking and VUCA Events here in Austin. And we just start riffing all about improv and the value of improv and how it really works and why um, it's – it's something that if you haven't tried, it's it's basically one of the only safe ways that I know about to experience that kind of uh, adrenaline and flow state that usually you have to do something a bit more life-threatening for. Like in the book, In the Rise of Superman, that studies flow states where they talk about big wave surfing and, and rock climbing and skateboard tricks and all these things that, that people do to achieve this flow state. And you can get into that same state of, of heightened awareness, fear, and presence and attention when you really commit to improv. Um, where people tend to go off the rails with improv is when they get in their heads and they're trying to make it perfect. And that's that's not really going into the flow. I think my the most fascinating realization for myself about improv comedy is that – you don't know what's going to be funny. Things come out of my mouth and I'm just so surprised that people laugh at them. And there's really a choice you make between being in the moment and just letting whatever come through you uh, and committing or being in your head and thinking about it. And it, it actually took me years while other people just immediately get it and feel like, oh, the pressure's off in a way because I just gonna, I'm going to say what comes out of my head. Um, and when you get people that are really willing and really open, it, it almost starts to seem like people are reading each other's mind or in sync or like it's scripted because there is that flow to it. And when teams can operate from that state of flow, they really achieve great things, kind of like when you see a sports team being in the zone. So we'll get into it now. There is a caveat here, which is I didn't have my usual podcasting equipment. So we used the iPhone mic, and I didn't realize the AC was going at the time. So... It's it's not high quality audio. The, the the AC can be a little distracting. As somebody who's very very audio based, I understand if that's uh, upsetting to you. I get that. I really do. So that's that's the one caveat. But otherwise, you'll be hearing from myself, my friends Rob Bakshai and uh, Brian Schoenbaum talking all about the culture of improv. Here we go. <laughs> and we've already started. What's up, Culture Hackers? It's Robbie Richmond. We're back here with a show in Austin with two of my best friends here. Two of my best friends, period. We're here with Brian Schoenbaum. What's up, Brian? Thank you for having me. I was drinking this delicious coffee Robbie you brought from Guatemala. Really grateful for it. Grateful for you. Yeah. Yeah. Brian is amongst many identities head of VUCA, Austin here in Impact Hub, amazing co-working space. And from a guy who started a co-working space, I gotta say, I'm I'm mad impressed with the the environment and the experience you've created. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's a fun place to hang out. Totally. And we're here with uh, Robert Bakshayi. Glad to be here. Yeah. My partner in various adventures in the self-development world that we've 
done. And uh, now what's your latest? So I'm at Acton Academy mm -hmm. High School, innovative high school where there are no teachers and the students learn everything by themselves. Awesome. Very cool. And uh, so we've been, uh, sorry, I'm just going to. So I was just thinking about you guys on, on the way over, and I think I've got a lot of friends in, in self-development, and you guys are like, you come at it from a really grounded place. That's, that's my experience of you guys. Why, thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's because I don't know how much it's your vibe or part of Austin vibe, but that it's like, it's almost that the self-development stuff isn't separate from life. Like there's life and then self-development. It's, it's like, it's all wrapped together. That's, that's why I love improv because it feels like it's not separating, getting together with friends, having fun, learning, bonding. It's just all wrapped in one. Is that your experience of it? I think it's a choice when you get into whether it's self-development, improv, whatever the, the method is. Do you want this to be a compartmentalized version of you, or do you want to take it into every facet of your life? Yeah. I think it's a choice I made early on to, to say yes to that. I want it everywhere. Not so, just in a, a class or a peak workshop. I want to actually bring it into every part of my life. Do you consciously do that, or does it just come up and you, you, you just unconsciously bring those skills wherever you go? Well, I wouldn't say it happens all the time, but... I think it's a foundational principle. Yeah. Heading into things. It's an intention. Totally. Have a few, Brian. Yeah, I just second the intention part. I think going into improv, like, what do you want to get out of it? It's like going into life. What do you want to get out of it? And the more we can have a, a clear, like, picture of what success looks like and let go of how we get there. Yeah. And also be willing to uh, audible and edit along the way. Yeah. And have community of people around that are kind of at it the same way. Right. Kind of like versions of mastermind, versions of like, hey, what do you think about this? I'm, it looks a little foggy to me, but I think I want to go there. And then having a little round table, lunch, dinner, whatever, and just, you know, kind of shoot from the hip and get other people's input that you respect. And I think that's a large part of the community, specifically in Austin, that I, I've found myself really drawn to. And it's hard to think about having anywhere else be home-based because of that. Yeah. How much do you guys think feeling plays in? Because, Rob, you said something about improv that really stuck in my brain, which was that um, you were talking about, well, we were talking in general about going out and meeting women, and you were saying how when you're in the state, that, that state of flow and confidence, it doesn't even matter what comes out of your mouth. And you were saying like how you can do improv before getting that state and then go out. And so how does that play in, the, the, the feeling? Well, what feeling are you, are you specifically talking about? Like that, that state of being in flow. I think it has to do with more than just talking to women. I think it's it's every every part of your life, especially with business. Do you are you tight? Are you constricting? Are you are you fully in yourself and in your posture? Yeah. Right. Can you repeat the question? I, I I'm just because I was just going off how how Brian was saying it's all about the intention, and as he was speaking, I was like, yeah, totally, and the energy with it, because I've noticed how the, you know improv is different with the different groups that you're with. And with some of them, I've been, I've been like, whoa, just from the beginning, I know it's going to be a great time because you can feel the energy of each person there. And it's like, it doesn't even matter what we do. It's going to be fun. And so I wonder how much it's based on that feeling coming into it, you know, versus improv as a, as a, as a structure. Well, I think in all the improv classes I've been to, in all the self-development classes or, or any type of workshop, 
it takes that one person to fully commit and say, there's, there's going to be nervous energy. There's going to be people who don't want to be there, but they've already committed. And it's, it takes that one person to dive in. It's usually the teacher to go, we're going to do this. And in that full, having that commitment there, I think, sets a tone. Is that like they're giving permission by having the commitment? I think so. Got it. Cool. So what, um, but, and you've mixed, because I've mixed improv with the corporate world and brought it into teams, and you're actually starting to mix it with self-development. You want to say a little more about that? Like well, the authentic improv? Authentic improv, it's, it's basically taking the basic core philosophies of improv and, and combining it with, with change and growth. Uh, because it's really it's cool to, to go into corporations or to go into um, any type of team and play for an hour and then you go back to communicating the same way um, I, I don't see the point of that what's mm. the point of spending an hour doing something fun and then going back to a life that's miserable right why would you want to do that yeah nice so Brian what, uh, what's on your mind just thinking how how that um, that process that philosophy is applied, you know how it's applied in with business with uh, decisions as we move along. You know we're always improving, and when you get in that mindset, being around you guys, being you know experienced, you know at doing improv for a long time, it's really neat to like riff off of that and constantly think about. Well, I don't have to make the decision that was made a while back. I don't even have to make a decision that I've seen somebody else do. I should make it up, right? I'm going to make it up based on something that inspires me, turns me on, lights me up, and and seeing how other people respond and react to that. It's a really interesting way to practice being present in a in a playful and productive and intentional manner. That's I don't know. It's it's, it's really been a, a gift in my life that showed up. Yeah, what blows me away about it is, from my experience, is how much it relates to culture and that it's principle-based. There are certain core rules and principles that you follow and the rest you, you make up. Same thing with core values in a company. And some of the ones I love with improv is obviously yes and, that you're forming the reality you're bringing to the next level. And just even smaller principles within there like that my teacher taught me, um, which was that listening is... Um, is the willingness to change. Because if you don't hear that last line somebody says, you could change your whole thing that's in your mind. Um, and I've always loved learning these principles. Another one our teacher taught us was, uh, uh, if you get weird, I'll get weirder. <laughs> so I'm creating a safe space for you to do that. And to me, as, as a culture aficionado who, who loves principle-based culture, it's cool to learn that. But what I find interesting about your teaching, Rob, is you, I rarely hear you talk about principles, but the people in the, scene, in the class seem to get it anyway. So what do you think is going on there? Well, it, it comes back to the, what is communication? Is it, is it what you say? Is it how you say it? Is it your posture? And I think all the studies I've seen, it has to do more with your posture than how you say it and then what you're actually saying. Mm-hmm. So are, are you embodying the invitation for them to, to sh- fully be awake in the moment? Yeah. So forget all the principles. Forget the, forget the yes and. Um, you have to be fully present with the people you're dealing with. And that applies to every, every facet of humanity. If you want to improve your life, become more awake to what's happening right now. Got it. So do you think the principle be present tops all the principles in improv? Yes, and uh, I think you can get lost with that. It's so overused. Be present. Yeah. Uh, but the, the thing with improv is you actually do it. 
It's an experience. Uh, it's not this mental philosophy that you can categorize back, oh, yeah, I'll be present, but I'm going to show up to work at this job I hate. And there's these things that I just can't be present with because they're too uncomfortable to deal with, whatever it may be. You don't want to look at the choices you've made in your life. It could be a billion things. So if you're thinking be present, then you're almost inherently not being present. I think that's an interesting concept. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How much... What? How would you say the word awkward applies to all this? I think my relationship with that word has changed over my whole life. I don't feel awkward uh, because it's almost getting used to being comfortable. It's no longer awkward because you're familiar with being uncomfortable if you're constantly growing. That's yeah. your normal state. Yeah, what's your connection with that word, awkward? I think or, if, you're not, if you're not feeling a sense of that, right? Like, I think it's a it's a nice kind of barometer, like, am I pushing myself, you know, and, and to Rob's point is it's a new level of comfort, like, to get comfortable and being a little bit awkward, but for me, at least, it's like the tinge of that lets me know that I'm stretching myself to grow in ways, or failing in ways that I wasn't willing to before, because yeah. if I'm staying in my range, I'm not going to feel much awkward, but once I step outside of that on either end, that's a signal that, hey, you know, it might feel uncomfortable for the moment, but the, the, um, the gift or the treat at the end of the tunnel there is the fact that I'm, I'm willing to grow and willing to stretch. Robbie, what do you look for when you go into companies? Do you look for awkwardness? Do you look for where there's a, <laughs> a lack of awkwardness? Yeah, I've been, I usually look more for tension. That's kind of what's excited me, but I've been recently thinking more about awkwardness uh, because one of my, my uh, teachers and partners, Dan Mezik, was teaching me about how agile uh, a project management framework is all about awkwardness. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, there's all these computer terminology and things with it. And he said, it's all about awkwardness. And he said, because if you're somebody, and, and a worker, and you need to say to a boss who, who gives you a task, the word no, it gets really awkward fast. Because nobody ever got fired for saying yes. But if you're going to say no and, and try to go against that, and the culture of the group, suddenly it gets massively awkward. So I think if it's, if it's not there, it's almost a bad sign. Because there, there needs to be a certain level of awkwardness if you're really challenging the, 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 the status quo and the culture. How do you encourage that? It's, it's, I think awkwardness is, in a lot of ways, the discomfort of getting real and, and not wanting to get real. And um, and I've found I'm, I'm leaning into it a lot more. And I think if for companies, it's about creating safety too. So for example, one of the hacks I give to people at companies is to say, uh, for a leader to say, tell me the thing you think I don't want to hear. And now suddenly they've created safety to go there when before it would be massively awkward if I tell you something that I think you're going to have a negative reaction to. I'm wondering how much, like, especially with your work with kids, if you think, awkwardness is in the future because I think about it in the context of that they're on their devices so much that real world interactions are not it would seem to me as comfortable for them and they would be inherently more awkward well I think you you pointed it out if there's that container like if, if a, a young person has an opportunity to experience the approval of that awkward situation and that real situation I think they pick it up and they can become so masterful at, at having those real authentic conversations, but if they, if their family or their school or their their entire environment is counterproductive to having that that real 
uh, intimacy with another human being, any type of intimacy is going to be feel really awkward. And there's almost a, a whole culture around that with gaming right now, gaming and young people. It's it's you're playing and you're connecting through devices the majority of your day, so that when you actually sit down with your friends, can you even maintain eye eye contact? And do you witness any of this? Yeah. Daily, I would say. Really? Mm-hmm. And what do you observe that like those of us who are just not around kids all the time would see? Well, and I think you see it in adults, too. I think with kids, it's just a little more easy to see. Uh, but we're, let's say we're having a conversation, and there's a moment where there's actually a chance for a connection. We'll both look at our phones. Uh-huh. We'll both check our Twitter. We'll both check our Instagram. Or with kids, it's Snapchat. And then, and then maybe once the sensation dies a little bit, we'll go back into talking about something. Got it. So it's almost like you level back up. Like you go in, like knowing there's a chance for a real, like real deep connection. You kind of go into your phone distraction, and then when you find like you start to come back up, you find like a more surface level point to connect at. Is that what you're saying? I think that's natural for for kids that age. But they're always going to be asking the question if they're in a culture, and a lot of the culture here in public school uh, in America is pretty uh, subdued and traumatic. They're always going to be looking for that. What is appropriate? What is okay? What can I? What can I actually express without being judged, criticized, or labeled? And unfortunately, most young people are terrified of that. Most human beings are terrified of that. It's not just young people, but they're being indoctrinated into this world where. They can't fully be themselves, and unless they have a mentor who really challenges them to do that, or they go to a class where it's safe to express themselves, like improv for me when I was a young person was a saving grace, uh, because I could express myself fully and not be judged. Do you think it's anything to do with the, the vocabulary they have for these emotions? Say more. Like, um... um it's amazing to me when I learn new words for something emotional, how much that opens up range for conversation. So um, the, the way that, 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 that Holly and I have said for, for a conversation, the conversation peak, the energy reached a high point and now it's going to go down. Before that, I would just continue on with conversations and feel like we had to just continue. And now she and I have the shorthand for, oh, we peaked. The conversation hit the high. We're good. Let's stop now. Um, that kind of thing. All the time. So last week it was, uh, we were talking about conflict resolution. <clears throat> How do you deal with a dispute? And the terminology I used was you go into it with a relaxed nervous system. And for them, that was speaking a different language. Like, what does that mean? Mm. They, there's a complete rejection of that idea or philosophy. A relaxed nervous system, why would I even think about that? It was uh, So I had to change my, okay, you go in with a calm calm mind. and So you have to adjust your language uh, and, or explain your language. Yeah. So that's that's the I see that as like the feeling layer. Is there also a tool layer, like in terms of certain words or structures? To talk about conflict resolution, what I teach to companies is I say there's this one method. There's the four bases, right? You gotta knock before entering. Make sure you ask permission to have that conversation first. Then you go over the facts. Make sure we're even arguing about the same thing. Are we before I launch into my emotions? Do you remember exactly what happened the way I remembered it? And there's you know two other steps to it. So do you see like a tool layer being involved in this? You can give tools, and I think ultimately if you want to run a, a big school with thousands of kids, you're going to need the systems in place to talk about the data first, and then you get into your feeling and you know you have steps. But really, I think the first step is they need to see 
an adult do this or they need to see an example of it mm. real time in an experience uh, that's been the most powerful work I've done with youth is sharing vulnerably uh, with with your true experience and that's how they learn the most and th- then they're going to have the permission for themselves to do that too so you can give them all the tools that you have they're not going to use them if they don't know how it's done or if they haven't seen it actually in person it's neat thinking about you having that container, that set group that you're working with, right? Kind of a, as an incubation lab, right? Because like, so it it so applies to life in general, right? It's like what we were saying earlier about someone needs to make it safe. Someone needs to set the container, the stage in a classroom. It's so specific. I know you say there's no teachers, right? But there is common a leader, right? That would be yourself. That's you know kind of been around a little bit longer to kind of set the stand, to set the stage, to set the container, to say to set the standard of what's safe. And that's really neat to be thinking about how that applies outside of the classroom as well. I think it's important too in that context to think about here's how I do it mm-hmm. and versus here's how you should do it. So here's how I do it. You can do it my way, but I'm not going to influence your decision at all. Um, I'll ask you really challenging questions and you can come to your own conclusions, but I'm showing you one way that I express myself. How often do they turn around and show you something in their own way that's like, oh, I'm going to upgrade mine now? Every day. Right? I learn something every day. So cool. We, the philosophy at Acton is kind of, do you want to be right or do you want to learn something? Mm. <laughs> really? Is that actively said, though, that phrase? It, it's, in, it's inherent in almost every system in the company. Fascinating. Because uh, at, at Zappos, Tony had this phrase of would you rather be right or would you rather be happy <laughs> and it was amazing how that would come up and 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 just how much letting go of being right like it was a polarity between those two choices yeah if I'm prepping all night for a case or a discussion and I come in with a really hard uh, stance and I want to prove my point I'm going to miss so many opportunities for new new ideas new points new perspectives if I'm really trying to win mm-hmm so do I want to show up to win or do I want to show up to actually learn something and grow? Yeah. Do you have an example of that when that happens? Well, I, I think about it for me all the time. With young people, you can't, you naturally want to help them. Mm-hmm. It's one of the hardest, uh, I think, human responses to, to really look at is, oh, I, I've been through this situation. I know what to, to do. Let me tell you how to do this. And, okay, well, how would you do it? That's the hardest switch there, uh, getting into being a Socratic guide is not how I would do it, but how would you do it? And nine times out of ten, I learn something new, and then I'll, I can apply it to my life. I imagine, It sounds like it's a lot less energy, too, to use to, to do that second technique. It's, it's generative. Yeah. Versus it's, me telling you a bunch of stuff that may or may not work, but you're probably going to try it anyway because I, I've been I'm more experienced than you, yeah. just age-wise. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to be resentful of me. Right. How much does that apply to you and your, your staff and team, Brent? It applies a lot, and I think it's a, it's a big learning, you know? It's a big learning um, learning how to do business that way, right? It's something I desire. It's not always easy, Yeah. right? Especially when you're affecting the bottom line, you're affecting sales, you're affecting customer care. How, iterate, how iterative and how open um, do you allow things to be? Do I allow things to be? And uh, my goal is to constantly stretch and open up more and more to that. And it's a concept that I'm really bought into, and it's a concept that I also have to find myself um, easing into, right? So that they really feel like the trust is there, and I'm not just all of a sudden saying, 
you have full reign, right? Yeah. So how do we constantly like get people on board that are very competent and experienced? It's much more easy to do that, right? Once you have the right team on board, when you don't have the right team on board, you don't have that level of trust. It's hard to do that. Yeah. Right. And there's an added layer for you, I think, because um, you have you have, I think, more choice. Like you're not gonna usually fire one of your kids, right? It's more like family. And that's why I kind of get a little disturbed when people say their company is like a family because you're, when you're family, you're family for life and you're in. Yeah. But with a company, like at, at certain points, you have to make a decision as a leader. Like, is it, do I keep reinvesting this person or do I let them go? Well, it makes me think of tribes too because tribes are really close to family. Yeah. But you can let somebody go if they're dangerous to the tribe or if they're taken away or if they're toxic to the culture. Right. Right. So I think tribes maybe is more, uh, it, it feels more appropriate at least for the way that I, I approach it. Well, I think too, you build it into the system where they opt out. Uh, mm-hmm. Say more. So at Acton, there's very clear systems of this is, these are the standards and as guides, we don't necessarily hold those, the, the Eagles do, or the, the students do. We don't really call them students at Acton. Um, and if someone's not a right fit, they will s- select themselves out of all these opportunities. So it's not a family because um, you can't fire family. Right. And if it's not a right culture fit, they, it works itself out. So yeah. the intention is there for the person coming in and the onboarding process to either fully come in or work themselves out. Huh. And, and something to add on to that, I think for, for me, a lot of the conversations when things seem to get a little off track is we talk about the standards that we agreed to. Do, are we clear that these are the standards? Are we clear that you're having the effect in the decisions that you're making are taking you off the track and away from the tribe or away from like our goal, right? So I think that's that's such an interesting conversation to have with somebody. Then they can take the power back and say, look, I'm making the decisions that's taking me away. Do I want to choose back in or do actually, am I, am, does a part of me or all of me really want to go a different direction? I'm just not willing to step up to the table and say something. So it's kind of Robbie to the framework that you said earlier is what's the, the what was the language that you said? What's, the the principles. Or you the, said what's the thing that you 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 have um, lack of willingness to share with me? Uh, tell me the thing you think I don't want to hear. Yeah, it's like that. It's like tell yourself that. Let's have a conversation about that together. But let's be real. Let's be transparent. Let's lay it out on the table, right. so that we can set up for you as an individual to have the most um, aligned professional journey that you can, is that here or is that elsewhere? Let's get to the bottom of it and get you to the right place. Yeah. Right. Get to the right place here or get to the right place somewhere else. I think that's why it's really important to have a really clear mission statement of core values. Kind of coming back to what you always say is if, if that's clear, you're going to attract the right people. And at any point during the time, you don't even have to really have those hard conversations. You can just point back to the mission. Are you, are you living this? Are you embodying these values? Do your kids get agreements? Yes. Really? They, every year they sign contracts. What? With their parents. It's mainly between their parents and them. This is what I'm going to do. So at Acton, it, it, 80% of what's in work, work rules uh, based on Google, 80% of what's in that book is how Acton's kind of run. Mm-hmm. Um, every year they, they form a contract with the guides and mm-hmm. with the parents and with the owners. Mm-hmm. And they say, these are the things we're going to do, and this is what we're going to do, and we have complete freedom to do that. And they work out all these systems of how they hold each other accountable, how they hold their middle schoolers accountable, because they're in, they have massive amounts of freedom and leadership, and they they have a taste for that, they have a hunger for that, and then they'd never go back to public school where they have to sit in one place and listen to someone lecture. Right. And with if if the agreements come out of 
uh, you know, something, a breakdown happens there, do they, is there resistance? Do they look to blame people in situations like adults do? Oh, I think that's inherent. Yeah. That's, that's the first response when you're frustrated is to make it someone else's fault. Right. Uh, but they're so, so willing to look at how can we make this right? Um, how can we find the solution? And that because they've seen you model that? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Huh. And is it an interview process at the school to get in? Uh, so if you were if you were a teenager, you wanted to go to high school there, you fill out an uh, audition, which you pick something. You basically go through a little bit of work, mm-hmm. and you get interviewed by them. They can ask you any question they want, and then you can ask them any questions you want, and then they decide if you come to the studio or not. Got it. And so it is, right? Like, I think within that, you're interviewing for willingness, right, on the front end. And you may call it an interview, right? But the experience is, is this a culture alignment? Are we setting ourselves up to be successful like you would in a work culture and in this environment you would in a school? So it's so interesting to think about that as, as a framework in general is who are we aligning ourselves with, up with, right? Yeah. On both ends of the conversation. And I, I'm so intrigued by this idea of that, like, of, of, that you don't just get in to something. You know, that I remember that book, The Game. Did you guys read The Game? It's uh, that whole a story of, of Neil Strauss going in the pickup artist community as a total dork, and he becomes like the, the little their leader. Amazing story, and and one of the things was was they were talking about in there is they said why why does it take these techniques to do this, and why do we have to play this game, and why is there human nature like this? And I thought there was a classic line in there that said um, because God knows we oh, or, oh they were talking about how why can't you just like like somebody make that clear etc. And he said, because God knows we don't appreciate things that just land in our lap. Mm. We don't have an appreciation for that. So I find more and more that where people go through a process or apply or go through boot camp, um, you know, that's what we did, Zab, was four weeks of, of learning and earning your place there. And you feel like you really got there and earned it. Um, and so there, I'm part of an organization where people just get in and I've, I've, I'm, I'm telling them, you know, can we make some hoops to this? I think there is... Not hazing, quote-unquote, but some sort of process where people feel like they earned their place there. It's like a rite of passage. Yeah. So you, you've earned it, you belong, you're not part of the club. Yeah. There's even this, this thing called, um, I think it's trend hunting or trend spotting. It's a report that says um, brands are doing this now, that people want to prove themselves to, to the brands rather than just directly getting whatever that product or service is. As a customer? Mm-hmm. And so they'll do things like contests with photos and Instagram and, and that you get to win a relationship with that brand that you like by proving yourself. That's interesting. I think about GoPro, for instance, right? Like there's, that, there's the GoPro channel. Yeah. Right? All kinds of extreme sports. But like you can buy their product, right? And maybe not specifically the thing you're talking about. But then after you buy the product, you go do something amazing with it. You can right. be featured. You can be a superstar with their product. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's kind of that yes and. Is there a specific product out there where you're saying it's like you don't even get the product until you prove yourself? Um, in some ways, like I see Tesla starting that way, okay. where they said, "Look, you have to have not financed 150 grand cash for the Roadster and go on a wait list." So I talked to one of the first owners of it, and he said, "You know, when you first got one, you were part of a club of a tribe because you knew that person had to have cash for that car mm-hmm. and got on first and was a wait list, and there's an immediate bond you had with those people." Awesome. And I wonder how it applies to to VUCA. I mean, you got an environment there that's that's 
it's it's a big open space, so it's kind of key that people really get along, yeah. and um, especially if you're thinking, you know, as you are thinking about scaling the model. So does this apply to com people coming into VUCA? Yeah, so specific to the co our co-working offering, which is Impact Hub Austin, yeah. that community, um, we interview, right? So we have an application process. Uh -huh. People fill out an application either in person or online before they come in and have a chance to sit down with our community advocate, which really is our filter at the end of the day, right? So you don't make them streak across Zilker naked to can't, get in there? Cannot talk about that, cannot confirm nor deny that might or might not happen. <laughs> And we might change things up. <laughs> um, but, it, but it is so important, right? It's like the bad apple, right? Yeah. So we're not like specifically a company. Our company has, you know, 15 people on the team. But our community has over 250, 300 people right at this one location. Mm -hmm. So we have to treat it like a company right. in a way, right? Because everyone is collaborating. Everyone has the opportunity to collaborate, support each other. Or have that dog eat dog mentality, and we really uh, focus on the posture of the person, and less about what it is that they do. And it just so happens when you interview and filter for posture and what people's values are, that you also, at the same time, you get people that really are doing really neat stuff in the world. Yeah. I wonder if you could apply that same philosophy to, let's say, Austin, for example. There's so many people who moved to Austin a day. What if there was a four-week boot camp? <laughs> Here's how you live in Austin. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that, that with the town? I know. I know Banff is a really uh, sought-after destination for people to move in uh, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. The waitlist is tremendously long. It takes years and years and years. What? They actually have a waitlist yeah. for the town? Mm -hmm. Really? And and they screen really heavily. Um, so I wonder if there. Have you heard of any countries or uh, towns that do that? That have like a, an introductory period where I don't know. I know it's not easy to get in America. I mean, <laughs> 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 yeah, I haven't heard. I, it's funny. I was just listening to the Joe Rogan podcast too, where they were saying, you know, you know, Joe, you're saying anything you want. Don't you worry, somebody's going to come after you and try to shut you down. And he said, no, you know, unless you're 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 taking money or um, um, uh, you know, fighting the the, the system. Uh, with the military, you're not going to have problems. And he said, you know, it's always these cults where it's the, the guys are sleeping with people's wives and storing up guns. If you do those two things, they're going to shut you down. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a question for you guys in the spirit of improv. Like, I, I notice sometimes I can be really focused and it's hard to break my concentration, and sometimes it's a bit easier to break my concentration. The last point I was talking about, I was saying something and a watch went off, right? And I noticed that I kind of lost concentration. And for me, versus just saying, I lost it, guys, like, take it away, I tried to pick it back up, and I, I noticed that I kind of lost my luster. Ah. And so I'm working on, like, naming those things, you know, sooner when it's appropriate, and this feels like the appropriate environment, right? Yeah. Do you guys have any feedback for what to do or how to maybe uh, catch those things quicker? My first thought that comes to mind is where where does that exist in your current environment in the sense of, like... I, I cannot believe it when I see people who have their phones that flag every Facebook like notification and, and every email and says, look at me now, look at me now, look at me now. I mean, that that to me is maddening. So I, I look at what are those distractions that I have. I'm a huge fan of, fan of airplane mode on the phone to go into periods like that so I can at least be be consciously creating environments when I can. That's awesome. That's really helpful. How about you, Rob? Well, I think... Uh 
to use a story I think you told me, mm. you go into meetings or you'll, you'll be pitching or you'll be talking to young people and you'll notice there's a distraction right before you even start mm. and you just address it. Yeah. Um, and just, just taking a moment to address it, hey, you know, res- this is what we're doing. Are you in or are you out? Yeah. Uh, giving them an opportunity. That's awesome. And just, it could be five seconds. Yeah, I've, I've had, I've, I've, I've experimented with this even on stage, and it amazes me how powerful it is. Like, one time I was on stage, it was a talk about disruption, so it's no wonder I got disrupted. And it's, all this stuff was happening, and I just pause, and I just go, what the heck was I just talking about? And what's amazing is the whole crowd started to chime in to try to help. They're like, you were talking about that, and that, and that. And they were, like, in this game to help me in that moment. And it, it amazes me how much if we call out those moments and just get really present, it like it, it actually brings people together. That's awesome. Well, it, especially with improv too, teaching an improv class, you're going to have these core, especially with beginners, you're going to have this core fear mm-hmm. that as a facilitator you, you'll be able to fee- feel. And I can't tell you how many times I've printed out the perfect improv class on a sheet of paper and had to tear it up <laughs> the minutes into the into the class. Because, That's brave. Because it, you, you have to be present. Yeah. That's the only thing that matters. Well, I wonder about that too in the sense of um, did that did that prep you did actually help you out in some way of a mindset where if you didn't, if you just said, I'm just going to wing the whole thing, would that not have worked as well as if you planned and then ripped it up? I think preparation always helps. Mm. Even if you decide to throw it out, yeah. being prepared is a good thing to do. Yeah, And a lot of times with improv you're going to throw that out no matter what you do. But right. as long as you're, you're setting an intention. So a lot of times, it not, it's not the game, it's what, how do I want these people to feel mm-hmm. going through this class? What do I want them to leave with? Those are the things I think you think about when you prep an improv, improv class. Yeah. Because those are more important than knowing the nuances of how to play what are you doing or yes mm-hmm. and. Is what do you want them to get out of the experience? Right. Nice. Well, we're just about at time. What... Um... If these guys want to find out more about you, where can they look you up? <laughs> so you can find um, the work that I've been up to at vukaaustin.com, V-U-K-A, austin.com. And I'll leave it at that. There is Impact Hub Austin that you can also find through that website and also wakeupco.com. I kind of... Fly under the radar. If you wanna, if you wanna check me out, find me on Instagram at raiserob.com. R A Z E R O B. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for improvising this with me, guys. <laughs> Absolute Thank pleasure, you, my friend. <laughs> Much love. See you later, call trackers. See you next time.